Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Won't you turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 13 to 22, and I, I hope uh, we'll let the little ones be dismissed uh, to Children's Church ages 3 to 5. And, um, but, but all of these uh, songs that we've been singing this morning in praise to our Lord and Savior have been about uh, His holding us fast uh, through difficult times in life and uh, our faith being sustained. And that's really what we're going to talk about this morning, Gospel Transformed Endurance. You know, uh, I think it was about five, six weeks ago that we began this study in First Peter, and uh, God had Peter focus on the gospel right away, and we've been doing that every week, even when sometimes the topic uh, was changed a little bit. Uh, we are reminded, I think in, in week two, we looked at how uh, because we came to faith in the gospel by God's word, that's, that's how we come to uh, begin our relationship with him, that's how we're supposed to continue it. And so to be in dependence on God's word, and then we looked at how the gospel looks uh, in our lives in a very practical way by, uh, by a, a different lifestyle, a holiness that we're called to, and, um, and specifically in submissive living in a number of different contexts in the last couple of weeks. All right, but all of these facets, all right, for, for four or five weeks, all of these facets um, of the gospel and how it affects our lives are within a context of a church that is suffering. Uh, back in 1 Peter 1, when he uh, began this letter in verse 6, he says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, about the gospel, all right, you greatly rejoice in that, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. All right, so they, he called them to rejoice in the gospel, to love it, to focus on it, and, and that is how they uh, are supposed to live this transformed life that we've looked at for about the last month or so. And he's still talking about the gospel now, but he returns to the entire context of everything he's saying. He's like, these churches were going through suffering, specifically persecution. And you and I, uh, we're prone to the same thing. We're prone to experience suffering. We, we, we're prone to even experience uh, persecution. They're not just prone to it, we're actually called to it. Uh, we, we looked at that last week, and we'll see that again uh, this week. And what this means is that we are to continue living in dependence on God's word, like week two. We're to continue living in praise for God with holy living and submissive living. And we're con to continue all of that in the midst of suffering. All right, in the midst of suffering. All those things we've learned this last month, they're difficult to do at times, aren't they? To live holy. Uh, to live in submission and all those different contexts we looked at. Uh, and they're even way harder when we're going through difficult circumstances in our life. Uh, and so what God is going to have Peter tell us is, is how this looks and how we're to do this. The gospel drives our endurance. Uh, the gospel, the grace of God in it, it fuels our endurance. And so we're going to look at what the transforming gospel looks like in the midst, in and through, through suffering. Uh, before we read 1 Peter 3, 13 to 22, there's a verse in the psalm, Psalm 125, 6, and it says that they that sow in tears shall uh, reap in joy. He that goeth forth and beareth 
he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again uh, with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, that verse, uh, there's a couple different things I want to look at there, but it says that uh, there are times in our lives when we go forth with weeping and, and with sorrow, bearing precious seed, all right, uh, remaining in faith toward God and even sharing God's word. Now, is there anything inherently uh, sad or sorrowful about sharing God's word? Not really. I mean, it's, it's, when you share God's word, have you, has it been a time of joy for you? Yeah, most of the time it is. And uh, you might feel anxiety about it. It might make you nervous. But anytime you do, there's nothing inherently sorrowful about it. But what I believe that this verse in Psalms is talking about, and what we're going to look at today is just this right here. And this is important. Um, sometimes we're to share God's word in times of joy. And sometimes we're supposed to still do it even in times of sorrow. Now, we've got a couple of farmers in our church, uh, or retired farmers. But, um, you know, Mr. William, when, when there are times when you um, don't feel really good in the morning, or you're sad, you're going through a, a difficult time in your life, can you not go out there and work the field? Can you just sit at home? No. Right? Farming's a 24-7 uh, job. And I think that is what this psalm is saying. It's like, look, there's nothing inherently sorrowful about bearing precious seed and about uh, remaining true uh, to God. Uh, but what, what, what there is, is like it happens sometimes in times of joy and in times of sorrow. And you still need to do it. Now, the, the harvest, that's a joyful time. That is. And that's what that psalm promises. And that's what First Peter promises us here, too. All right, and I think it's what God's calling us to, to, to maintain our faith in him, our endurance in suffering, uh, but also to do it for the gospel going out. Let's read these verses, 1 Peter 3, 13 to 22. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evil doers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning, we're asking for the Holy Spirit to be uh, among us in doing his work where he illuminates your word. Help us to understand it. And then, Lord, I pray we wouldn't just leave it there. We wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we'd be doers of it by responding however you'd ask us to respond. In humility and great dependence on you, uh, we're going to need this passage because there are times in our lives, we might be in one now, when we have to go through suffering. You've promised you'd bring us through. We've sung about it this morning. And so in confidence and in faith for your glory, we ask that you would show us how that works. 
And also, may our suffering not be wasted. Help us to use it as a means to share the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's look first here at the manner of gospel-transformed endurance, the manner of gospel-transformed endurance. Uh, Peter kind of cuts to the chase here. I like it. Before he tells us how it is and uh, how we're to do this and get through this, he, he gives us the result of it in verses uh, 13 to 17. All right, so first of all, the result of enduring faith. Uh, he points to us, how can you possibly endure? How, how can we possibly endure? And in verses 13 and 14, he says, And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Now, um, for the churches here that were experiencing persecution and other forms of suffering, and for you who uh, may have experienced suffering recently or you're in one now, you, you probably say, well, Jason, th this feels like harm. Are there times when your suffering feels like harm to you? Let's be honest, it feels like harm, it feels like evil, uh, but it says here, who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? All right, one of the first messages I had the privilege of preaching here was on one of my favorite chapters in Psalm, Psalm 121, that says the Lord, uh, we, I look to the hills from whence cometh my help, my help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In verse 7 of that uh, chapter, it says that he will keep you from all harm, or all evil. Now, in your experience, I want you to think about that. Are there times in your life when it feels like you've experienced evil or harm? So uh, that's reality. Okay, but what God is saying, he will do, for, for those who are in Christ, now this protection that verse 13 is talking about, it's not for everybody, it's for those who are in Christ, right? Those who have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, and there is promise there no harm, just like Psalm 121, 7 promises. Just like Romans 8, 28, that says he uses all things all right, all things work together for your good, all right, to those who love God, again, those who are in Christ, those who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. We can go back to Psalm 84 and uh, verse 11, it says, the Lord God is a sun and shield, the Lord will give grace and glory, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. All right, and so what I think we're, we're seeing here is, look, there are times in, in our life we have to be real, it feels like we're experiencing harm. It feels like we're experiencing evil. But God promises that for those who are his, he keeps them from all of that. So what, how can we understand this, this apparent contradiction? Is it possible that in my Jason Lee vision of my 45 years and a half or so, that um, <laughs> the times in my life when it sure felt evil and it sure felt like harm, is it possible that God was working all things together for good? these verses are still true and I can still have confidence in a God who's promised it, who has a perfect track record of promising that he'll do this. Well, I, I think if your testimony is like mine, you'll say yes. I mean, I've actually seen evidences where, man, when I was going through it, it did not feel good. All right, it, it felt like it was harm. It felt like it was evil. That's all I could see. But I had to rely on God's word and keep the faith and have an enduring faith. And, and when I did that, years later, sometimes decades later, maybe not even in this life, but the promise of faith is that we will see that. I see that God was working all things together for good. I do. I see that this verse is just as real as any other verse in the Bible. And I, I see that the suffering that I experienced or any persecution that I experienced was God working all things together for my good and for his glory. That's how he does it. All right, so there's protection that's ours in Christ. There's also a peace that's ours in Christ. Verse 14 says, But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. There's actually joy and a lack of fear or a peace that comes when we are in Christ. Not just protection, like verse 13 said, but there's a peace that comes from Christ. And, and, um, and Peter's actually quoting Jesus here. 
in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are you, or happy, that's what it means, happy are you if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You're happy. And you're like, well, Jason, that doesn't really feel happy. All right, it doesn't. Now, it doesn't say that it feels good. No, word. that's not what happy means. It doesn't say that. Now, often when we're happy, it does feel good. All right, but that doesn't say that. It says you'll have peace, you'll have protection, you'll have joy. You will be happy when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. All right, when, you're, when people say all manner of evil things against you, you are blessed and you should rejoice. That's actually what it says there in Matthew 5. And so Peter's just quoting who he follows, Jesus Christ here, when he says that we are to, to have a joy. All right, happy are you and, and be not afraid of the terror, neither be troubled. There is a peace that comes. This is the result of us having enduring faith. Now, let's look at the requirement of it. Let's look at the model of it. Let's look at the motivation for it. Secondly, uh, under the manner is the requirement of enduring faith. How do we possibly endure? Verse uh, 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That's what the first requirement is. You have to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What does, it, what does sanctify mean? Anybody? Set, set apart. All right, thank you. Set apart, right? That, uh, what are we setting apart? Set apart, but set apart the Lord God in your hearts. What does that mean? Well, it means... He's supremely valuable. Like, yeah, I've got a lot of things I love. There's a, I love my wife. I like my house. Right? Love Blaine County. I like hunting. I like fishing. But Jesus, <laughs> that's way up there. Way, he's supremely valuable. And so when I'm suffering, when I'm persecuted, when I get that diagnosis from the doctor I wasn't expecting and don't want to hear, when, when I have a loved one that's suffering, Whatever kind of suffering or persecution I'm experiencing, I remember he is supremely valuable. I have him, and if I have him, I have everything. Everything. All right, and that's what it means to sanctify the Lord, your God, in your heart. You know, I used to work at, um, when I was a teenager, we would go to the Milwaukee Rescue Mission. I grew up in a small town like Dublin, a little farming town, but like an hour away in Milwaukee. We'd go up there, and I would, we'd minister to people, I remember, like um, we'd have a service and some people would get saved. And then I went to Bible college and I came back there a couple years after Bible college. It had been about seven, eight, maybe 10 years. And I was working there for a while. And some of the same people that got saved way back then, guess where they still were? At the Milwaukee Rescue Mission. <laughs> still, still struggling with addiction. Still struggling with sin. I mean, guys I saw come to the altar and, and, and accept Christ as Savior. And if I'd asked them, and I'd say, you know, do you believe that Jesus is your Savior? Have you, yeah, oh, yeah, I've accepted him as Savior. I have. You know, and uh, if I would ask them, have you accepted him as Lord? I mean, do you, do you see him as Lord? Oh, yeah. You can't, I mean, who can argue that Jesus is Lord? He's Lord. You, you'd be a fool to argue that. That's what Scripture says. But, you know, the, the reason I think they're still there is they never, they never accepted or saw Jesus as their treasure. Never. Savior? Yeah, I want a Savior. <laughs> I do. Uh, Lord, well, yeah, duh, he's, he's in charge. But treasure, like he's the most important thing, more important than whatever's keeping me in addiction, more important, I don't know. But they had, never, they had never done that. And I think that's what's highlighted here when it says, sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts, the Lord Jesus in your hearts. He has to be supremely valuable. In order for us to have enduring faith through suffering, we have to see this, that Jesus is our reward. He's the most important thing in our lives. That is what it means to follow Jesus in general, but especially in suffering. If, you, if that's not your perspective, I don't think you can do it. 
That's what, what God's given to us here in 1 Peter. Jesus has to be your reward. So that if you lose everything else in this life, everything, but you still have him, you have everything. Amen? You have everything. That's what, that's what following Jesus is. All right, Jesus is our reward. And this is what Jesus did in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says um, that we are to look at all these examples of, of faith in the Old Testament, these prophets who went through suffering and remained strong uh, in their faith and gave glory to God. But it says, look to Jesus. Romans 12, 2 says, this is how we are to endure, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the beginning and the end of it. I mean, he designed it. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame, and he's now set at the right hand of God. We're going to see that here in, in 1 Peter in a minute. But how did Jesus, if you've ever seen the, the, the Passion of the Christ or any kind of movie like that where you see Jesus suffering, I mean, yeah, you've read about it, and it's powerful in God's word, but when you see it, doesn't it do something to you? Doesn't it do something to you when you see his suffering? How did he endure that? And how can we endure it? How does he expect you and I to endure it? It says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The joy that was set before Jesus, what joy? That one day he'd be in heaven, all right, he, would, he wasn't going to stay dead, he's going to rise from the dead, God would glorify him, he'd deliver a church to, to, to God, all right, Jesus would deliver his bride to God, to, to glorify God. That was the joy that let him go through everything you see in the passion of the Christ and that you read about in the Gospels. It was that joy. And that is the joy you and I are called to have. That joy is Jesus, our reward. Now, in verse 15, it also says, Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Right? So, not as Jesus, Jesus isn't just to be our reward, but he's to be our response. All right? So, when people see you in that hospital bed, or your loved one in that hospital bed, or you without a job trying to figure out how you're going to make ends meet, or whatever suffering, whatever persecution, you find yourselves in, in all these different ones, what is to be your response when people say, how do you stay so strong? One word, Jesus, Jesus. All glory goes to him, not I'm strong, not well, you know, I've learned to tough it out and everything works out. No, our response is to be Jesus. Be ready always to give an answer to every man. Do not waste your suffering. Don't waste it. God, God has a design in it. All right, he's got a purpose in it. Don't waste it. Always be, be ready to endure it by sanctifying, by setting apart. Jesus is supremely valuable, but always be ready to respond and give him glory, all right, by, um, by saying Jesus. That's how. That's the only way I can endure, and that's the only way you can endure. What an opportunity to bring others to him. I want to look at that. Like, that might actually be his design here. That's what Peter's talking about next. All right, Jesus, our reward, Jesus, our response. Now, the model of gospel transformed endurance, what does Peter call us to look to as a model? Just like Hebrews 12, 2 did, he calls us to look at Jesus. In verses uh, 18 to 21, he calls us to look to Jesus. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. All right, so we have a four there. All right, and the four attaches to verses 16 and 17. Verse 16 says, Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it's better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. So Peter says, uh, look, this is the context of suffering I'm not talking about. Uh, I'm not talking about when you do something wrong and you bear the consequences. That's just normal. 
that happens in life. What I'm talking about is just for the unjust. Like, boy, you've been living right. You're, you, every, all your ducks are in a row. You've been leaning on God. You've been in his word. You've been, and then all of a sudden, life collapses. And you're like, what happened? Why? How? How am I going to get through this? This is what he's talking about here. And that, we can know that because he says four. So here's our model in, in verses 13 to 17. He's saying this is the result. This is what's going to happen. And this is how you endure. But this is who you're to look to. You're to look to Jesus Christ. For Christ also, also uh, hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. So what's the purpose of enduring faith in this model, Jesus Christ? What, what is the purpose for us having enduring faith looking at Jesus? It's really this. A lot of times it's gospel presentation. Do you realize that God, look at verse 17 again. For it is better if the will of God be so. Sometimes it's God's will that you suffer. Not because you've done anything wrong, because he wants you to preach the gospel through your suffering. Don't waste that opportunity. This is what he says. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. That's where the power in you enduring uh, enduring suffering, your faith enduring it. That's where the power is when it's just for the unjust. So Christian, is there suffering sometimes required actually the will of God in your life? Yes, sometimes there is. Uh, is. Is the suffering just for the unjust, that kind of suffering? Well, that's exactly the kind that has the power to present the gospel. Like you just suffering because you did something wrong, that doesn't necessarily present the gospel in the same way that you receiving unjust suffering does or unjust persecution. So yeah, definitely, this is exactly the type we should expect. And it should be Holy Spirit empowered, just like uh, verse 18 says. And so there's power in Christ's gospel presentation. Isn't that how you came to Christ? Like you heard the story of the gospel, that he came and he died and he, and he suffered and he died and he rose again for your sins and you believe that. Right? And Paul says in Colossians 1.24 that he wants the Colossian church to rejoice. He wants them to be happy in his sufferings. All right, because this. He says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's sufferings. That verse used to disturb me. I mean, what is lacking in Christ's sufferings? Oh, good, silence. That's what I, you should hear. There's nothing lacking in Christ's sufferings except this. Sometimes there's not a, a real-time, two-day, September 15th, 2019, in Dublin, North Carolina, presentation of it. And your enduring suffering with complete uh, sanctification of the Lord God in your hearts, that might be the presentation of the gospel that God wants to use. You might have that opportunity. I mean, it's great. It's powerful. Give a tract out. We've got them in the hallways. We bought new ones. Please give them out. Pass them out. Uh, give the gospel out. When somebody asks you for the reason of the hope that's in you, please tell them, Jesus, share that. But when they see you go through suffering and you don't waver, not because you're so strong, but because uh, your response and your reward is Jesus Christ, that is a powerful proclamation of the gospel that just words can never say. Amen. All right. That's, that is sometimes God's intent there. All right, and for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Gospel presentation. Uh, it's also gospel reconciliation. The whole point of, of presenting the gospel is that hopefully that people will accept it. That's the work of God. That's what he does. But it's, it's Christ's objective, and it should be ours. Look in verse 18. Now, why, why did he suffer? Why did he die? The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. That's gospel reconciliation. And Paul uh, writes to the Corinthian church and says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you realize that, church? You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. 
For some reason, in his, in his infinite omniscience, God has decided to use people, human beings, to bring others to him. I don't know why. He could do it any number of ways, but he's chosen to do this. He's given to you and I, church, the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses, their sins to them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Like, that's why we call it the Great Commission. We have a commitment. We've made a commitment. When you say, I'm following Jesus, you're, not, you're committing to follow him by sharing him with others, sometimes through your perseverance and suffering. It says, uh, and now then, we as ambassadors for Christ. Do you realize that you persevering and suffering is sometimes being an ambassador for Christ? As though God did beseech you by us. Like, God is speaking through my enduring suffering. Like, it's a loud gospel presentation, sharing about what Jesus did. That God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ to be reconciled to God. That's the purpose of enduring faith, all right? That the gospel would be presented and that the gospel uh, uh, would be, it would cause people to be reconciled to him, all right? That's what verse 18 tells us. Now, let's get to verse 19 to 21. This is a difficult section, all right? Um, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Let's start on verse 19. By which? What is by which? Well, by the Spirit of God. Verse 18, he's quickened by the Spirit. Uh, by which? So by the Spirit of God also he went. Who's he? Jesus. All right, so by which? The Spirit of God. He also went and he preached to the spirits in prison. We got to stop here. Um, because uh, we have something, I don't know if anybody is familiar with the Apostles' Creed. You know what that is? You might have said it. Okay. It's a historic Christian creed that um, those are good things. What The catechisms, things like that, most of the time they're good. Uh, they're not divinely inspired. God's Word is. They're based on God's Word. Uh, so I find them useful. Uh, but there's one part of the Apostles' Creed that I always had trouble saying. I remember the first time Krista up at Methodist University, they say it sometimes in chapel, and I remember the first time she had trouble saying it. Uh, it says in that creed that after Jesus died, he descended into hell. All right, so I've got a problem with that because I don't believe Scripture teaches that. They base it on this section. All right, here, and I'm going to tell you why I don't, don't believe that and, and why most of the time most Baptists don't believe that. Uh, it, we have here the preaching of enduring faith in this section. There's an Old Testament or pre-incarnate Jesus preaching and a New Testament post-incarnate Jesus preaching. That's baptism. The first one's Noah, this pre-incarnate uh, preaching. It says, by which the Spirit, he, Jesus, uh, he preached unto the spirits in prison. What those who believe and where the Apostles' Creed thing comes out is they believe that, that Jesus died. He descended into hell uh, in, those, in between those three days when he was dead uh, for a couple different reasons. Some people think he did it to preach to the spirits in prison, it says there, that give people who died before Noah a second chance at receiving the gospel. I don't see that where that's in Scripture. In fact, it says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You don't get second chances uh, after, after death. All right, so I struggle with that. Now, the other, uh, the other position that they hold uh, is that um, he, Jesus went down there to proclaim victory to demons that are bound there. There are demons that are bound there. We're going to learn about that in 2 Peter. Uh, they did something so horrendous that God put them in chains, and they've been bound in there since they've done it. They're not like other demons who can go about and, and do their work. Uh, but he, they bound there, and he went down there to basically say, I'm victorious. Again, now the only support they have is this passage for that. But here's why I have a problem. Do you remember Luke uh, 23, 43? That Jesus is dying on the cross. There's a thief next to him who decides, this is a good time to accept Jesus. This is my only chance. And so he accepts Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? Today, you will be with 
me in, in paradise, in heaven. Not, not in hell. Jesus didn't go up there, drop him off, and then go down to hell. We don't have that record. So let's just let Scripture say what Scripture says and not try to, to make up new things about it. All right? So it's just very literal. That's how Baptists typically interpret God's word. Very little. Now, if I'm wrong, if John Piper, John MacArthur, every Baptist is wrong, uh, John Piper said, we'll, we'll apologize when we get to heaven. All right? We're, we're human. And so I'm giving, you my, I'm giving you my understanding from the word of God. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying I'm smarter than Athanasius and Augustine and the people who wrote the Apostles' Creed. I just say God's word is God's word, and we're going to preach God's word. Amen? All right, let's go on from that. Now, um, let's get to the second part there. Well, first, why, why, so what does it mean then? Well, God, his Holy Spirit, Jesus' Holy Spirit preached through Noah. Well, that's not hard to understand. Peter said that back in chapter 1, verse uh, 10. He talked about the Old Testament prophets, verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when, when they were having their message. This is the thing. The Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them like you and I do. We've got such a privilege, such a blessing. He's in us 24-7. Back then, he wasn't. He was in existence. So was Jesus. Jesus didn't start at Bethlehem. In fact, we're told in John and Hebrews and Colossians, he's the one that created the world. All right, so he was existed back then, and his spirit existed, but it didn't happen just like you and I have, and we didn't have that same experience. He would come upon prophets, on kings, uh, when they were giving out their message. So it happened through Noah. Do you think Noah preached? He's building an ark. Do you think he had an opportunity to preach? Uh, well, it says he, he was called to do that, but even when he wasn't actually preaching like I am now, I got a feeling he was preaching. Do you imagine people back then? What are you doing? I'm building an ark. A what? Why? Because of rain. What? What's rain? You know, oh, rain, Noah, okay. You know, I'm sure that's what he experienced, this, this level of persecution. I'm sure that's what he experienced. Probably worse. Not, not wonderful to be made fun of. 120 years he preached. You think my sermons are long. 120 years. All right? And they didn't repent. They didn't. And you know what happened to them? Well, it says eight were saved. Noah and his family. Man, nobody came forward. No, nobody turned. 120 years. So there's always been this preaching of enduring faith, and Noah had it. He, he didn't go, I'm sick of people making fun of me. God, I've never even seen rain. He just believed God. All right, now look at the post-incarnate one, and that's uh, the example of Noah and the flood being saved. We have this beautiful picture, New Testament of baptism, verse 21. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now also save us. But we've got to stop there. Does baptism save us? No, all right, so does baptism save us in the sense, this is what I want, uh, you have to understand Peter's context here. People are being put to death, being persecuted because they believe in Jesus Christ. It wasn't like, I'm going to accept Jesus as my Savior and keep it hush-hush. They were called to be baptized. You know what happens when you get baptized? You don't get baptized by yourself, right, or you and the person baptizing you. It happens, it's public. It's a public profession of faith. So if it's dangerous, even deadly, to become a Christian, when you do that, You've kind of just signed your own death sentence. I mean, that's a reality for a lot of people in this world. Here in America, thank God. God, we are so blessed. We don't have to do that. But you, you want to go to Yemen? You want to go to India? You want to go to Iraq? You get in that water, you just signed your death warrant. And people do it all the time because Jesus is supremely valuable. Jesus is supremely valuable. Lord, help us get a hold of some of that here in the United States. All right. Um, but that's the preaching. All right. So. Peter said in his message at Pentecost, he's preaching to those people, said, whoa, what are we to do? And he says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Be baptized on account of the remission of sins. What happens here, this is preaching. 
right? So when Drake did it, Lila, Andy, just recent people who had, Josh, when you, last year, when you did that, that was a message. You preached up there. You went under the water, that's when you died with Christ, when you accepted him as Savior. And when you came up, it's when you, you were given new life because he's been risen, all right? That's why we say buried with him in likeness of death, likeness, you're not dead. I'm going to bring you up, all right? You're not dead, but raised to walk in newness of life. There's no likeness there. That's straight up newness of life. This was a picture, likeness of death, raised to walk in newness of life. You're new, and that life is eternal. It is eternal. That's what that is preached up there. So those are our two preachings of enduring faith. Now, let's look at the motivation for gospel-transformed endurance. We'll close with this, the motivation in verses 21, the end of 21 and 22. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's faith in our preservation that helps us endure whatever God's going to put in our path. Whether it's persecution, whether it's physical suffering from sickness, emotional suffering because we're sick or because a loved one is sick or maybe the Lord takes a loved one home, whatever it is, it's faith in our preservation uh, because Jesus is risen, that's the proof and promise that we will too. Those who have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, they will rise to eternal life just as Jesus did. We have to remember that. Um, we can boldly say, like, the, uh, like God tells us in Hebrews 13, uh, verse 6, he's quoting the Psalms there, the Lord is my strength and my song. The Lord is my helper. I won't fear what man can do to me. What is the worst thing that could happen in your suffering? Whether it's persecution, somebody making fun of you. That might happen here one day in America. What's the worst thing? What is the ultimate end of suffering? Worst case scenario. Death. What do we have in Jesus Christ? Life. We have life. There's, not, there's no worst case scenario. That's what enables you and I as Christians who endure in our faith. We can look death, even death straight in the face. We can look cancer straight in the face. We can look at the loss of a loved one straight in the face and say, I have Jesus. He's better. He is my reward and he is my response. Faith in his power for our profit. Not just faith in our preservation, but faith in his power for our profit. It says he's in heaven, verse 22. Peter saw that. He saw Jesus go up. He knows he's in heaven. He's at God's right hand, this position of power. And God has put angels and authorities and powers that are made subject to him. That same word, hypotasso, that we've been studying for the last two weeks, that submission, they are, they are in submission to him. It's a little bit different. It's a little stronger because uh, God's word tells us he, God, Jesus has his foot on their neck. All those. Foot's on the neck. Right? And actually, Paul says at the end of Romans, he's like, stay faithful, Roman church, because one day God will crush Satan under your feet. Stay faithful. That's where, that's where we are right here. I, I do want to, real quick, this is about persecution. It really is. They, this wasn't about a cancer diagnosis. It wasn't about losing your husband. It wasn't about losing your job, having relationship problems with your son, your, your wife. It wasn't. It was about persecution. But is there a difference in this, in this regard, in our response. I don't think there is. Because you know what's at stake? The same thing. God's glory and your faith. Whether your faith, God's design and persecution, like you being with a threat of a, a sword, will you renounce Jesus Christ? No. All right, the same thing. God, God wants that for the construction of your faith. Satan wants it for the destruction. You get in a cancer diagnosis. What, what's at stake there? God's glory God's allowing in your life for the construction of your faith. Satan's allowing in their life for destruction of your faith. So in that regard, whether you're persecuted for the sake of Christ or, or you're just getting 
bad news and you're experiencing suffering, I got to say this, church, I think if you're living for God, every kind of suffering you're going through is for the cause of Jesus Christ. I mean, you're supposed to live for Christ, right? Every, every type of suffering you're ever going to experience, if you're living for God, it doesn't matter if it's a threat against your life, you know, to recant your faith or to, to not endure, or if it's simply, you know, going through a tough medical problem or emotional problem. What's at stake is the same thing. And this is what we're called to believe. In Hebrews 11:6, it says, those, all right, uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to God, those who have a relationship with him, those who come and accept Jesus as Savior, they got to do two things. They have to believe that he is, all right, and they have to believe that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's not enough just to believe he's God. It's not enough to just believe him as Savior and Lord. You have to believe in him as your treasure and that he will be a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. All right, that's, what, that's what Hebrews 11.6 tells us. Uh, Adoniram Jud Judson was a missionary. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but uh, last, last century... But he endured suffering. And this is what he said. He said, if I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated suffering. If I had not been certain that every additional trial that I experienced in life was ordered, there's a power of God, that God is, by infinite, the power of God, that God is, love and mercy, that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I couldn't have survived my king. And you can't either. You really can't. When we're talking about gospel transform endurance, how does the gospel affect how you endure suffering? This is how. You have to believe that God is, and then you have to believe that he's a rewarder. That's tough to do when you're going through suffering, isn't it? doesn't feel like a reward. doesn't feel like a gift. But this is, this is what it may be. Don't forget the model of Christ uh, back there in verse 18. God may have you going through this, no, I can't even say may. God has you going through this so that you'll present the gospel. Like in your, in your endurance of it, you are saying Jesus, even if you aren't saying Jesus. And if you get the opportunity, if somebody asks you, definitely say Jesus. But anytime you're going through suffering and you remain firm in your faith, that's what you're doing. You're pointing people to the gospel. And please do it. Don't waste it. That's what we're asked to do here. There's a manner in which we can endure Jesus, our reward, and Jesus, our response, right? There's a model where to look to, Jesus, the just for the unjust, where with the hope of gospel presentation and gospel reconciliation through that, and there is a motivation, and it's really, it's us believing that we have eternal life because Jesus was rose from the dead, so will we. We can look, whatever it is, straight in the face and go, I have Jesus. I have everything I need. He's more than enough. He's beyond more. So this morning, as Tommy's going to come, we're going to sing Trust and Obey. Um, I know we're running late here. I, I really want to sing all the verses, so <laughs> they're good. Um, but we're going to sing Trust and Obey. Do you, are you tempted to give up? Are you going through a time and you're tempted to doubt God's power or goodness in your life? Are you, um, are you, maybe you haven't seen that God's got this design and this suffering so that the gospel can be presented through your suffering. Won't you plead with him that you'll have the strength to do it this morning? Uh, to, to have the strength to stand firm in the faith, using what he's given us here, so that the gospel might be proclaimed through your enduring faith. All right, let's sing trust.